Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. We're going to jump straight into the Word this morning. Um, I want to remind you where we've been at in the Word. So kicking off the year, we've been looking at sort of the, the tried and true ways that believers of Jesus have operated from the very beginning. You know, the first believers were simply called the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the lifestyle he passed on to them that they took up. We've been looking at that, the things that they committed themselves to. And as we've been saying from the beginning, we just love that they were known as the way because sometimes, even as Christians, we get known for what we think about something. You know, we get known for our set of beliefs, those kind of things, but what's most important is how we live it out in our lives. The actions that we take on behalf of others to honor Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we've been looking at the fact that it all starts with what's going on inside. It starts with our heart. Say, God, I want more of you. I need more of you because I can't figure it all out. I just, I don't have the wisdom I need. I need more of you. We looked at the way that this young community of believers was daily together, that they were just passionate about being together, united in what God wanted to see out of them. And last week, we looked at their commitment, first and foremost, to the teaching of the apostles, to the word of God. They were committed to God's word. Today, we're going to pick up again and see what else they committed themselves to. And I just want to say, um, you know, as we get started this morning, that this, this list, this short list that we see in Acts chapter 2, you know, it's not an exhaustive list of all the things they committed themselves to. And what we're doing here, honestly, we could take a year on any one of these things that we see in this one short verse, and we would barely be scratching the surface of what it means to commit to the word, commit to prayer, commit to breaking of bread and fellowship. But we're going to just kind of give an overview of some of these things. And my hope as a pastor is that um, just something that we share kind of touches your heart. Something that we share in any of these messages about the way they committed themselves, that the Holy Spirit will just drop that in your heart and say, I want you to come with me on that journey. Whatever it may be, as we consider their actions. So would you turn with me again to Acts chapter 2? We're going to look at Acts 2.42 one more time here. That's been kind of our key scripture. As the believers form a community, let me hear that you're out there this morning. You guys awake? Okay, good. All right. Hey, that was way better than I thought. Okay, so Acts 2.42, just to remind us, after the day of Pentecost, they, they gather in 3,000 extra people, put their faith in Jesus, and it says this, all these believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and the Lord's Supper and to prayer. It's a very, very simple verse, and there's all throughout the book of Acts, which is a history book of what was going on with this Jesus movement as it got kicked off, we see these patterns emerge. And so I want to camp out on the final thing on that list today, which is that they committed themselves to prayer. They committed themselves to prayer. You know, prayer means a lot of things to a lot of people, right? You notice this? Some people may stub their toe and they have a different kind of prayer that they say, right? But people, their attitudes towards their awareness of what prayer is, we're kind of all over the map in 2022. I have to like make sure I say the right one because sometimes I still say like 2019. It's bad. It's bad. You need to pray for your pastor. Okay. 
Prayer means a lot of things to a lot of people, but the truth of the matter is that prayer is essential. It's essential to our lives as followers of Jesus. Martin Luther said, you know, basically, to put it his words, <laughs> to summarize, he basically said, if you're, a prayer, if you're a Christian and you're not praying, you're like a fish without water. You're like a human being without breath. Prayer is essential for us as Jesus followers on the same level that air is essential for us as human beings, okay? The disciples who walked with Jesus, if you notice this, they didn't, you know, they didn't ask him a whole lot of questions, you know, they asked about specific things, but as, they, as he started to talk to them about what he was going to send them into and in launching this Jesus movement, they didn't ask him, you know, hey, teach us how to communicate better and preach the word effectively, teach us how to lead people because, you know, this is going to get pretty big. They didn't ask for management lessons from Jesus or Jesus CEO, whatever. They asked, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us to do conflict resolution. Read the New Testament. The whole thing is conflict resolution after the book of Acts. No, they said, teach us to pray because I think they understood something. I think they knew as they watched Jesus slipping away over and over again to get alone with the Father. I think they saw his prayer life and they're like, we don't understand what's going on here. We've never seen this before, ever. None of our religious teachers do this. What are you doing Because whatever relationship you have with the Father seems to be the key to everything in your life. Teach us what to do. They knew that if they could make space for the Father, that relationship, if it was growing and changing them, that everything else that they would need to say or do, every battle they would face, every obstacle they would need to overcome, that it would be okay if they could find that level, that depth of relationship with God. So they asked and teach us to pray. And today, I want to take a couple of minutes and chat about our prayer life together as a church and our prayer lives individually and about God's desires for us to spend time with us, to draw near to us. I hope it's going to be practical for you. I want to share some things. and I think that everybody can find something to take away, okay? But let's pray together and invite the Lord to speak through his word. Jesus, we thank you because you're a speaking God. You want to share with us your thoughts. You want to share with us your heart. It blows me away that you even notice us, even care about us. You created the whole universe. We can't get our minds around even just this world. But Lord, you draw draw near to us intentionally and you draw us to yourself. I'm so thankful for who you are. Come and by your spirit, awaken something in every heart that's here this morning. As we fix our eyes on you and your way, Lord, would you just touch us again? Give us fresh revelation from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So as we've been in the month of January here, we've been in a time of fasting and prayer. If you haven't joined us, it's, it's not too late to get involved with that. If you want to find out some more information about it, you can head back to the Connect Center or go on the website, Why We Fast. Why we commit that time to prayer. What does it mean to fast? I mean, there's plenty of people today who've never heard of biblical fasting. They've heard of intermittent fasting as a dieting technique, right? What does it mean as a Christian to fast and to pray? I invite you to kind of join in with us. It's amazing what God does in our hearts when we commit that to him. I love what Jensen Franklin says about fasting, though. He says, whenever you begin a fast, remember, if it doesn't mean anything to you, it won't mean anything to God. 
If it doesn't mean anything to you, it won't mean anything to God. If you're not sacrificing something to say, God, you're more important to me than this, it won't mean anything to God. He said, without being combined with prayer and the word, fasting is little more than dieting. And he's right. So I want to encourage you, whether you've been fasting with us, whether God's tugging on your heart even now, prayer is the focal point. Getting that time to seek God is what it's all about. And so I hope that if you have been fasting with us, that you're getting that time. Because sometimes we fast to see breakthrough or some kind of outcome in our lives. But the outcomes we seek, the breakthroughs we're looking for, those are not the ultimate point of our fasting. And the point is not to lose weight as well. Sometimes when we come up to a fast, we're like, look, God, this is win-win. I'm going to get closer to you and drop a few pounds. All right. You know, the point of fasting is that we give up things, even good things in our life, so that we can seek him with everything. When we lay aside even those good things that God has blessed us with and say, I'm going to take time and not indulge in these things because I want to indulge in the best thing. I want to lay aside the good so I can pursue your best for me, which is your presence. I'm going to make space for you. And the place that we do that is the place of prayer. It's all about prayer. Prayer is where we align ourselves and our hearts again with God's presence, his purposes, his heart for us. And as I talk to Christians, I realize that even though prayer is so central for us, so essential for us, prayer is often the hardest thing for us. They may want to be real today and be like, it's, it's hard to make space for prayer sometimes in my life. As I talk with believers, I realize that it's something that we can struggle with sometimes. Getting into the place of prayer, it isn't always easy in our 24-7 world with all the craziness we've got going on to make the time and space to just come before God with nothing else going on. It's hard. It's really hard. I want to you know, share with you my experience with this personally, because we could just sit up here and talk about, hey, we all know there's a lot of distractions, but I don't want to beat that dead horse this morning. I just want to tell you what my personal experience is um, with trying to get into the place of prayer. What I've found, and maybe you've found this as well, it's not just that when I go to the place of prayer, there's, you know, no distractions around, because we do that, right? I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go lock myself in a room. I'm going to turn off everything, whatever, Eliminate all immediate distractions. The problem I find is that even when I tune out everything in that moment, the noise is coming from inside me louder than around me. Anybody else have this issue going on? Can we be real about this? Because, I mean, I want to make this practical this morning. And part of the challenge is that my to-do list starts erupting in my mind like a volcano when I get quiet enough. Anybody else? This happened to me? Okay, I'm hopeful. Pray for your pastor. If the pastor's the only one who's having this problem, this church is in trouble, okay? So, trust me, we need to get real about this. You know, you can eliminate all those things from wherever your, your prayer closet is or whatever, and you'll find that distraction isn't about everything outside. Distraction is mostly about what's going on inside. So, let me ask you, do you have that place that you go Who's got that place that they go when they want to pray? That, that central park, that quiet space. You know, like that is a place where I can be alone. That is a place where I'm not distracted. Yeah. Okay. I think we all share one place where that's going to be the case. And maybe this is a little bit TMI. But honestly, one of the easiest places for me to, to think clearly is in the shower. Does anybody else have this experience where you're like, I have no distractions here? 
I can't even take my phone in here. Like, I get it. Apple is trying to solve that problem. They make your phone waterproof because they're like, hey, you want to go scuba diving? Don't worry. You won't miss your aunt's invitation to play Candy Crush or something like that. Like, it's okay. You can never be away from the notifications. In the shower, for me, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm alone. Nothing is going to get to me in that place. And all of a sudden, it's like those thoughts start coming back. And I can think a little bit more clearly, just being honest this morning. When Get to that place where nobody and nothing can reach me. We need that place. You know, maybe, maybe this is the practical takeaway for you this morning. You need that place where no one and nothing can reach you so you can get alone with God. But what I recognize so many times in that place is that there's so much noise inside me. There's so much noise inside me that even though I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend some time in prayer, I get distracted really easily. Like, because when I finally quiet my soul enough, all those things that I got going on, they come back with a vengeance. They, they fill my heart and mind. And I think we need to realize something today about this lifestyle of prayer that we see in the early church. It wasn't just a, hey, let's snap in and snap out of this moment of prayer. Because the way that we're living our entire lives will either set us up for rich moments in prayer or not. You know, we have to recognize that our 24 seven kind of connectedness and distractedness, it takes a toll on us so that when we actually try and quiet our hearts, that stuff starts coming back out of us. You know, over time, we build whole structures with the habits we embrace, the things that we're chasing. I call these mental dams, mental dams. You know, like a dam on a river, think beaver building a dam and it stops the river, or like the Hoover Dam. Some of us have big mental dams in our life that are more like the Hoover Dam. But these are things that we choose to engage with our lives, give our attention to habitually over time. And what we find that they do is they stop the flow of our thoughts. I'll give you an example. Maybe you've got something that's really difficult going on in your life. And you know you need to process through that. You need to spend some time and think it through and Bring your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions before God, but you've got habits of being like, no, you know what? What I need right now is a little bit of an escape. I'm going to go watch the calves for a little while. I'm going to pretend it's not happening. Whatever our escapes, whatever our habits, whatever these things we are, what we don't realize is over time, they build up blockages in our minds so that when the quiet moment comes, guess what comes flooding back in? All that stuff you've been ignoring for the past two weeks. Think about taxes. I'm so sorry. I know it's that time of year. Okay. Who is one of those people who puts taxes off until April 12th, right? We don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about it. And then every time we get quiet, we're like, dang, I got to do taxes again. It just keeps coming back. Because we've built up these things that hold back the natural flow of our thoughts, emotions. They hold back where our hearts need to go and do some work. So when we want to get quiet... When I'm in the shower, a whole river of to-dos, a whole river of, you know, oh, man, I'm late on this, comes flying back into my mind. Because it's about a lifestyle, not about snapping in and out of moments of prayer. You know, maybe preparing our hearts and embracing what Paul refers to as prayer without ceasing, a whole life committed to getting alone with God. Maybe that's something that we can't just flip the switch and get into. That's what I've discovered anyway. Henry Nouwen says this, the trouble is, as soon as you sit down and become quiet, you think, oh, I forgot about this. I should call my friend. Later on, I'm going to see him. 
Your inner life is like a banana tree filled with monkeys jumping up and down. I think he nailed it. I think he nailed it with that quote. Anybody got some monkeys in the tree? Just the second you get quiet, it's like, why can't I think straight? Don't worry, just blame COVID. That's called brain fog now. You're not weird, right? No. Yeah, even the ancient monks, you know, in the Middle Ages, with none of our current distractions, tried to get away from it all into the monastic traditions, tried to find a place where they could just center their hearts and their minds on Christ all day, all night. You know, it's, it's a, a problem that Christians have experienced from the beginning. No one's immune to it. We all have these habits we do. We all have these distractions that come all the time, build these mental dams in our minds. We all have this experience when we finally get quiet. So what do we do about it? What do we do to really press into the place of prayer? I mean, this is a problem. Our distractedness is a, is a huge issue. I think obviously taking a look at some of those habits and whether they're helping us to bring things to Jesus or not is, is huge. But in the meantime, you know, if we start to make changes that are going to help us be more present to God, more present to our moment, that takes some time to kick in. In the meantime, what are we going to do about this? I love Sky Jathani's uh, comments in his book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? He picks up on Henry Nouwen's Monkeys in the Tree, and he says this, Welcome your monkeys into your prayer. Present to God whatever distracting ideas, tasks, images flood into your mind when you get quiet. Start praying wherever your thoughts are. If you wait until all the monkeys calm down and go away, you're never going to pray at all. What does it look like for us to do that? To start praying. You know, when those things come into mind, how do we turn that into prayer? You know, so many times... As we read the word, Jesus and the apostles, as they teach about prayer, they basically tell us that, you know, all those things we worry about, all those things we're preoccupied with, God knows them all in the first place. In fact, he knows more about them than you know about them. And he cares more about them than you care about them. We recognize, you know, God doesn't miss a single thing in our lives. He knows what we're worried about, distracted by. He knows the things that are playing on our mind, that are trying to keep us from the place of prayer. Why don't we give those things over to him in the place of prayer? Say, God, I can't get this out of my head. I'm stuck on this. Okay, I'm going to start talking to you about it instead. I'm going to recognize that you can do something about it when I can't do something about it. How do we take those monkeys in the mental mind map we have and surrender them to him? I think it's important for us to learn how to do this. So let me encourage you today, if, if you have a hard time when you're going into the place of prayer, and you're like, I can't keep, I don't know what that was. It wasn't prayer. <laughs> like, because I have so much going on in my mind. You're not alone. You're a human being. Doesn't make you a bad Christian. But maybe today what you need to hear is, let's surrender those things to Jesus. When those things come into our mind, we can't shake it. Start talking to him about it. Start where your thoughts are flowing and surrender it to him. Point them back to Jesus. Amen? Amen? We need to remember when we think about prayer that we're never going to be perfect. So many of the, the church fathers who are incredible prayer warriors, one of the things they all share in common is they go, we're always beginners in prayer. We're always beginners in prayer. Every time we come to the Father, it's a new moment with him. We're always beginners in prayer. We're never going to be perfect at it. We're never going to have all the right words to say. 
Our lives are never going to be perfect enough to be worthy to enter his presence. Prayer is that amazing great equalizer where every single one of us is in the same place before a good and loving God. You know, maybe you've heard it before. The the ground is level at the cross, right? We're all beginners in prayer. But all he cares about is our hearts. All he wants is your heart. You know, whether you have the right words to say, whether you're distracted or you're clear-minded, it doesn't matter. What he wants is your heart when you come to him. Nothing is more important to him. And that's the place where prayer begins. So whatever struggles we might have, whatever monkeys are in our minds and invade our thoughts, God knows them all. What he's hoping is that we come and give those things over to him, that we say, look, I can't deal with this. I need you. And I recognize that you're really just looking for my heart. So here it is, Lord. Take all of me and start at that place. He wants us to seek him anyway, despite the challenges we have in our life, despite the distractions. In the midst of it all, just to fix our heart on him. The Bible tells us that we can only look on the outside of what's going on in my life or each other's life, but God is always looking at the heart. Let's give him all of our hearts. And if you feel like you've been struggling in prayer, you feel like you can't seem to make enough time, I'm just letting God down. I don't don't have what it takes to get into the place of prayer right now, whatever. Just remember, all he wants is your heart. All he's interested in what's going on in the inside, and his heart is so full of love for you and exactly where you are right now. All the challenges you face, all the things you're anxious or frustrated by, he knows. He wants you to just come to him. He wants to embrace you right where you are. When we realize that, prayer becomes a little different for us. Prayer becomes really more celebratory because who am I that he knows about anything going in my life? Amen? That's the essence of prayer, directing and lifting our hearts to him, not because of what I'm saying and that my words are so beautiful, not because my life is perfect, not because my mind is clear in this moment, but because he is good and he cares and he's with me in the midst of all of that. He promises that. So remember, it's all about the heart. And if you're distracted like me, God's bigger. Amen. So let's get practical with this a little bit this morning. I want to challenge you as we look at the word. You see, our our frustrations, our anxieties, the things that want to keep us from the moment of prayer and surrendering them to God, what we have to recognize is those things, those situations in our lives, they're no match for God. They're nothing for him. He is God all-powerful, as we've been singing about this morning. They're no match for him, and although they can mess up our focus and attention, God is not scared of those issues in our lives. He's not up in heaven wringing his hands going, I don't know how we're going to solve this problem. It's a small thing for him. What is frustrating to God, though, is when we have these things in our lives and he is the last resort for us, the thing that we don't turn to, that we don't bring him into the issues with us. I don't know, again, this is like confession time for your pastor this morning or something like that. But sometimes my first reaction isn't prayer. Anybody in here is like, I'm a do-it-yourself person. I like to solve problems as soon as they arrive. I consider myself fairly handy, whatever it is. And we're like, problem arises. All right, let's pull out the manual. Let's figure this out. So many times we have different first reactions than saying, okay, Lord, here's a problem I can't fix. I need you. 
I need you. What, what is frustrating to God isn't that we have these problems in our lives. In fact, he promised us we would have these problems, and he promised us that he knows all of them. But what I think is so frustrating to God is when we choose to go everywhere else but him to find the answer. Can we be real about this this morning? Who remembers, uh, well, I, if there's somebody here who doesn't, I'll be surprised, but the, the TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Anybody remember Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah. What a great TV show. I'm talking about the Regis Philbin version. I don't know what variant they're on now, but I remember Regis. That show must have just been uber successful money-wise or something, because like every network was like copying, like, we're going to do the weakest link. So game shows, like they happened in the late 90s and early 2000s. But it was a brilliant show. It's a brilliant format for TV. And part of what made it so engrossing was the lifelines. You remember the lifelines? Come on, help me out here. Like 50-50, phone a friend, ask the audience, right? 50-50, phone a friend, ask the audience. And if you got stuck trying to earn your million, had a question, the moment you had no answer for what you, know, you were being asked, you could fall back on those lifelines and get some help, right? They would keep you moving forward. They'd keep you in the game. And I think this, is, this show is just a brilliant metaphor for the way we live our lives, like, let's be honest. We get stuck from time to time. We run into a question, and we don't have an answer. We run into a situation, and we're like, I can't tell you which way is up or down right now. I, it's, it's, I'm breathing, and that's good enough right now. What do we do in those moments? I like to think there are lifelines that we fall back on. And they're kind of like the lifelines and who wants to be a millionaire. We've got our, you know, phone a friend lifeline. Let me just call and see what this person thinks about it. I'm going I'm to find my answer in that person who I rely on for everything, whatever it may be. We love to phone a friend when we're in trouble. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We're going to get to this. We have our Ask the Audience lifeline. It's called Ask the Internet. It's called Google, right? I got a problem. I can't fix it. Let's ask the collective Internet what its answer is. Not that that's ever steered us wrong before, right? I mean, you can Google something like how to fix this toilet or whatever, and before you know it, you're going to be standing in three inches of water, and it's going to be your fault, okay? Let alone like the big existential Christ about like, who am I, who is God, and stuff like that. Google your way through that, and you will believe that you are God in like five seconds. We do, right? Ask the audience, right? We fall back on the collective knowledge of our world. We, we go to groupthink. That's what it is. Or, you know, if all else fails, 50-50. Process of elimination. Well, okay, I don't know what to do, but I'm definitely not going to do that. I'm definitely not going to do that. At some point, I'm hoping a path emerges for me here. 50-50, right? We rely on our own, like, kind of rational capacity to work out the problem. At some point, it's just going to come to me, whatever it may be. Here's the thing. We all have our lifelines, but sometimes those lifelines they take priority over the most important thing we can do in any situation like that. Look, there's nothing wrong with having information available to us. There's nothing wrong with having good people around us to support us. I'm not saying that. We need that, especially in the moments when life is tough. We need those people, but there is no substitute for coming to the creator of the universe when we've got a creative problem we can't fix. There's just no lifeline that we can choose that can even come close to what God can do in a split second for us. 
And yet, oftentimes, he's not even on our list of lifelines. Groupthink can never replace Godthink for us. No one person that we can rely on breathed breath into our life and created the heavens. 50-50 odds don't do for us when we serve a God who came 100% of the way to find us. Our rational thinking, our interpretation of information is not the same thing as the wisdom that God wants to give us in a heartbeat when we come to him first. There is a lifeline that we most often ignore, but is most important of all, prayer is our true lifeline. For the follower of Jesus, there is no lifeline that comes close to the lifeline of prayer, of bringing those needs to Jesus and saying, I can't do a thing about this. I need you. I need you right now. I need you in every moment. And in every moment when we don't know what to do, Jesus is the answer for us. Amen? Amen. Prayer is just such a miraculous gift to us. The invitation of creator God who made the whole earth and the heavens to come to him at any moment. We're invited to come into his presence. He is a holy God. But by Jesus' death and resurrection, he's made a way where at any time we can come to him. That is a miracle that we choose to ignore often. So let's not let anything come before the Lord when we have needs, when our hearts are searching for answers. Let's not let anything be more of a reaction to us, right? We've said it many times. Prayer, it's not our last resort. It's our first reaction when we hit the challenge, when we get that news we were dreading, when we don't know what to do, when we've blown it. Don't make prayer your last resort. Look, I like to try and fix things, but when I try and fix it on my own, I usually make the problem worse, okay? Make prayer our first reaction again, our lifeline. That's the heart that God wants to see from us. Amen? Amen. You know, one practical thing we can do to show God that this is where our heart is, make sure that we're seeking his thoughts, his presence, his purposes, is is to just simply say, God, I, I come back to you now. I choose you now. In the midst of it all, just remember to make him our first, our first lifeline that we choose. We exercise that in the place of prayer. The commitment that we see amongst the new believers to prayer is just astounding. If you read the book of Acts over and over again, they just have a remarkable commitment to prayer. And I want to look, if we turn the page to Acts chapter 4, about a moment where they're praying because they've come up against a a wall. They've hit a situation that they know they can't do anything about. And it's this incredible moment. Peter and John, full of faith, have just seen a man healed by Jesus' name. And then, naturally, the religious leaders bring them in for questioning, detain them, you know, threaten them a whole lot, (laughs) you know, as the religious leaders were doing at that time with the Jesus followers. They figure out they can't really hold on to Peter and John, so they release them. They let them go. And then we get this little story here. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, we're going to start, and it says this. I love this. Look at their hearts in the moment, okay? Look at what they've just been through, and then look at their hearts. It says, as soon as they were freed... Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, 
all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Listen to what they say. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, we know this has happened here in this very city for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel. They were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they preached the word of God with great boldness. I love this story. I love this moment. I love their hearts, everything that we see from them, the way that they prayed. Just look at the way they honor God. They totally reframed the challenge that they were facing in light of God being sovereign over everything. In light of God, you're not caught off guard by any of this. In fact, you told us it was coming. You ordained every step along the way, and you've got us right now because you're faithful and you're in control and you're the creator of the heavens and earth, the sea and everything in them. They reframed their challenge from God's perspective, his worldview, his word, They put it in his hands and committed themselves to his will and asked for grace in that moment. You know, that's the kind of prayer that God longs to hear from us. That's the kind of prayer that God honors every time. Yes, I've got some challenges. Yes, I've got a very real problem. I don't know what to do in this moment. But God, it's in your hands. You're bigger than this moment. I trust you in this moment. Enable me. Empower me. Grace me to stay the course through this challenge, to trust you and simply do what you're asking me in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the fire. Help me to boldly speak your word and give me the strength I need for today. What an incredible prayer they're giving to God in this moment. And I love the results. The whole place shook and every one of them was filled afresh with the spirit of God. Incredible. You see, I I look at this prayer and what is apparent to me is the pattern that they're praying follows what Jesus taught them to pray. The way that they brought their prayers to God follows what Jesus taught them when they asked him, teach us to pray, and he passed down to them the Lord's Prayer. Think about it. They declared his sovereignty over everything, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. They committed themselves to his mission, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. They chose to rely on him for everything. Just give us today our daily bread. Help us to keep going, Lord. And you see the pattern that they're praying just lines up with Jesus' heart and how he taught them to pray. God, you're holy. You've got this. I'm looking to you. Keep me in the game. You're my lifeline. You can supply all that I need, no matter what I'm facing in this moment. I love this pattern in Scripture, and I want to kind of camp out and and kind of hopefully give you some practical things. 
from another moment where the same pattern emerges when Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, he gives like a manifesto for how to pray when you're facing some difficult situations. So maybe you're here with us today, maybe you're online and you've got some impossibilities in your life. You got some things that you're anxious about. You got some frustrations. Maybe it's with people. Maybe it's with a situation. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 because the pattern keeps coming. It's the same way that they continue to pray. You know, I want to just say that this isn't some magical formula. Again, God's after the heart, not just some rearrangement of our words here. But I think that there's some powerful examples, ways that we can pray, and I hope that you'll take just one away and say, you know what, I want to pray that way this week. I want to pray that way moving forward. I want to try this. I've never done it before. I want to try praying like that today, okay? So if we're stuck or stale in our prayer life, maybe there's just one of these ways to pray that you never tried before. Take God at his word and try it, okay? Philippians 4, verse 4 through 9 says this. And Paul is writing words of encouragement to people in a difficult place. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That's a great verse. If you've got some trouble going on, don't worry about anything. Instead, turn it all into prayer. Turn those monkeys into prayer. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and the peace of God will be with you. It's an incredible encouragement that Paul gives to the church at Philippi. I want to look at four things that we see in this prayer, four ways to pray that we've always been encouraged to do. The first thing is this, from this same pattern emerging. It's a prayer of realignment. We realign our hearts in prayer with God. Realignment is simply this. We recognize who he is and who we are. Who he is and who we are. And look at what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Make it about him. Remember who he is and let that fill you with joy because he's bigger than anything you'll face. Our Father in heaven, we're focused on you first. We realign our hearts with who you are. Prayer of realignment. And the reality of that is that should always lead us to thanksgiving, shouldn't it? (laughs) Because who he is is somebody I should not have any right to come near to. But he longs to be near to me. It's a prayer of realignment. It's amazing that he cares about us. That he doesn't just know what's going on in our lives, but he chose to ransom us to himself, to bring us back into relationship. And he's giving us an everlasting future. Those are the things that we can focus on that remind us of who he is and what he's done in our lives. So no matter what's going on, that reminds us that he is on the throne. Like we sang this morning, Your kingdoms rise and fall. Your throne withstands them all. He hasn't fallen off his throne because we've got some issues going on in our lives. Amen? Amen. Jesus is faithful. Let's realign our hearts with this simple truth. You are God in heaven. Here am I on earth. I'm going to even let my words be few, said Solomon, because of who you are. 
We realign ourselves first. And maybe that's the type of prayer that you need to take away today. Because that's where it all starts. Remembering, I am not God. He is God. He's bigger than this moment. He's bigger than my challenge. I'm just going to simply focus my eyes on him again. Maybe that's the kind of prayer that you need to embrace today. Realigning prayer. The second kind of prayer that we see in this is asking prayer. We ask in prayer. Amen? He says, don't be anxious, but petition the Father. Bring your requests to God. Make them known to God. Whatever it is, whatever those thoughts are in your mind, whatever the things you're wrestling with, bring them to him. You know, Jesus invites us to ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. Amen? Amen. We need to ask. I love what C.S. Lewis says, because sometimes we're like, God, I don't want to trouble you. I know you got a lot going on. Whatever. C.S. Lewis is like, look, your desires are not a threat to God. (laughs) He's not scared like, oh my gosh, you want too much. You're annoying me now. No, God longs for us to bring those things that we need to him. He invites us. I think God's more upset when we don't take those things to him. When we're like, you're not my lifeline. 50-50 is. Ask the audience. We need to ask him when we have needs in our lives. Amen? He's not scared of our desires. As C.S. Lewis says, he finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He's like, you have no idea what I want for you. If you knew, you'd be asking a lot more. I want more for you than you can imagine in your life. Ask me. I think it's Psalm chapter 2. Ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. You cannot imagine what God wants for you. Start small, but start asking. Amen? There are two, uh, two elements to this asking. Remember, it's not about our words and how we ask. You don't have to say it like the right way or whatever. Asking and, and receiving in prayer is about his faithfulness, not about us. It's about our hearts coming to him and trusting who he is. It flows from realigning with him. But traditionally, prayers of asking are called prayers of petition, prayers of intercession. What that simply means is this. We ask God for things for me. We ask God for things for others. Right? And it's so important. We're we're encouraged in Scripture to do both. Not just to ask for me all the time, even though we live in the world where I'm the center of the universe, but to ask on behalf of others as well. It's so vital to who we are as God's people. You know, because that requires that we think about somebody other than ourselves, right? Asking on behalf of others is so important. Praying for one another, something happens in our hearts. When we say, look, I got a lot going on, but man, I'm praying for you. I'm actually going to ignore all that for a minute and just go to the Father with your need, not mine. Something changes inside of us when we choose to do that. When we go to God purely asking for the good of someone else. You know what changes and why it changes? When we engage in intercession, praying on behalf of somebody else, we come alive in a new way. Do you know why? Because we step into the role that we were made for. A little while ago, we did our series on what it means to be an icon created in God's image. God's been crafting a people, and he calls us a royal priesthood. You know what a royal priest does? Presents the needs of others before God. When we choose to engage in intercession, saying, I'm going to take your needs. I'm going to make a point. Every day I'm going to be praying for you. You're never going to be far from my mind. You are stepping into the role that God made you for. Think about that for a minute. You want to draw near to God's heart? Start lifting up his people because he cares for them. 
That's uniting our hearts with him in prayer. Intercession is huge. Praying for somebody other than me is massive in realigning with God's heart. Amen? Another kind of asking, we ask for forgiveness. Right? Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is a moment for confession. When we come in prayer, say, God, I know I don't have it figured out. I know I've screwed up. Help me to be more like you. Forgive me of those things. Forgive me of those desires in my heart that don't align with you. Forgive me of the ways that I've lived that violate what you're asking from me. We ask for forgiveness as well in prayer. So we have prayer of aligning, prayer of asking, another one, prayer of receiving. Receiving. You know, prayer is also the place so often where we, when we, when we get to that place, we're seeking him, that's where we receive fresh strength from him. That's where we receive. There's an exchange that takes place when we come to him like this. We can receive in many ways in prayer, but one of the best ways, and this is extremely practical, praying the word, praying the word, the prayers that you find in scripture, just saying, God, this is what you say in your word. I'm, I'm praying it back to you. It can be such a great moment to receive from God because when we pray the scripture, we realize we're tapping into thousands of years of people asking God for the same struggle I'm going through. We realize that, you know what? I don't have it all figured out and they didn't have it all figured out, but man, they got the words to say. When I don't have the words to say, they've got the words to say. It's a simple way to come to the Lord and say, hey, you know what? I need you. It's amazing the strength that we receive when we join our prayers with their prayers from millennia ago. Sky Jathani writes about this as well, about those tough moments in our lives when we need God as our lifeline, when we can't form the words, we don't know how to get through this. He says this, that is precisely when we ought to sing and allow the words of a songwriter or the psalmist to guide our hearts toward communion with God. In the darkness, we begin with our voices and we allow our hearts to follow. You know, maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're like, it's all I can do to get into the place of prayer. I need something from God. When we choose to come to him, that's where we receive strength. You might not have the words, just pray the Psalms. I promise you're going to find one that echoes your heart. And when you do, you realize that God has been with you all along. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still on the throne. He's got this. He's with you. Amen? Sometimes praying the Psalms or the other prayers we find in Scripture is exactly what we need. It helps us to realize we're not alone in our experience, but God is still faithful and true. Another way that we receive in prayer is when we reflect with God. We reflect back on what is going on in our lives, and we invite him into that process with us. You know, looking back, it's amazing how hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Even just thinking back through my day and going, man, that part was crazy. That was a good moment. But invite God into that process with us. Maybe you've had this experience. You've been through a tough season or something like that. And in the moment, you're like, I don't know which way is up. But later on, as you reflect back, you're like, God, you were right there with me. I could never have seen it in that moment. But you know what you were up to. Anybody had that experience? Yeah. We need to practice reflecting on our lives with him, with him, inviting him into that process. And when we do that, we receive his perspective on everything. We receive his perspective on the events in our lives, 
And that gives us strength to move forward because we see that he's been present in it all and he promises to be present. After all, as Soren Kierkegaard said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We need to practice reflection and inviting him into that. One beautiful and very old, old way of doing this is what's called the prayer of examine. You might have heard about this before. It's an old tradition of followers of Jesus where they simply walk back through their day and invite the Holy Spirit to sit with them in the process, to give his perspective on that moment that frustrated them. If you want to hear more about that, come find me afterwards. We can talk more about the prayer of examine. Finally, the other way we receive in prayer is just by simply listening Sometimes we think prayer is all about talking. Often in prayer, we think we need to have the right words. We need to say the right things. It's all about what comes out of our mouths. But we will never hear God speak if we don't shut up every once in a while, right? Can we be honest about that? Prayer is a conversation, not a one-way monologue. We need to just make space to just simply listen. One of the daily Hebrew prayers, and probably the most important Hebrew prayer, It's called the Shema. It's simply the word just means to listen, to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We need to listen to that. We need to be listening to the word. We need to be listening in so many ways for God's voice. But when we do that, we can finally receive something from him. We just need to open our ears. And one of the things I want to share about that is oftentimes in scripture, when we see God speaking, he speaks in a whisper, right? Right? He's not shouting. C.S. Lewis says that God, he whispers in those good moments, he shouts to us in our pain. But oftentimes when God's speaking, he's whispering to us, which means we need to get quiet enough to hear him. And we need to be intentional about listening, right? Aligning, asking, receiving. Finally, in the prayer that we just read and we see all throughout scripture, it's a prayer of advancing, advancing. Look again at Acts chapter four and what they say to him. They say, Consider their threats and enable your servants to preach the word with great boldness. I love this heart. They basically said, yeah, they're going to try and shut us down. Yeah, we're probably going to get whipped in prison. Some of us are going to die. Give us the boldness, Lord. No matter what they try and throw at us, we're going for what you told us to do. That is a bold prayer. That is a prayer of advancement. It's a firm commitment to act on what God has said, come what may. And it's an amazing heart that God longs to see from his people. They ask for boldness. Reality is this, God's dream for them was far too big for them. You know what God's dream was for those young believers? Is this, that thousands of miles away and thousands of years later, his name would be made famous all over the world. There was no way they could do it. But God had a plan, and they said, make us bold. Make us bold. We're committed to it. We know that it's not about our ability, it's about your ability. So just help us to step out in faith and advance the kingdom. You've heard us say it many times before, but all the fruit of missions and evangelism all over the world is merely the gathering up of results, first one in prayer. What that means is, before God acts, we pray and we invite him into it. But he longs for his people to say, okay, we hear your call. We're moving forward. We trust you for all the needs that we have. Just give us boldness. Just give us boldness. Amen? Because in prayer, things shift in the unseen. 
In prayer, we take authority over the powers and principalities that will try and stop what God has ordained to happen. Prayer is the first step in any meaningful pursuit in our lives, especially any meaningful pursuit for the kingdom. We realign our hearts. We ask for our needs, the needs of others. We ask for forgiveness. We receive by spending that time with him and gaining his perspective. And we commit ourselves to advance. Four things that we can pray into. And I hope that one of them has captured your heart a little bit today. But ultimately, we go back to the place where we started because if you notice, if we're, if we're praying that prayer of advancing, you know, it comes from that first heart, recognizing he's got it all figured out and I don't. Aligning with him, it always leads us to move. It always leads us to action. It's the reason they became known as the way. Because every time they sought him, he advanced them. So if you'll pray like this, I promise you will get to that place where God says, okay, let's act now. Let's move. Let's rock and roll. It's time. No more sitting around. I've got something for you. And that is when it all gets exciting. Amen? Amen. But above all, first and foremost, direct your heart to him. No matter what kind of prayer you're praying, he is the object of our affection. Not for what he's going to do, not for that breakthrough. He is what our hearts desire. It's about more of him and less of me. Amen? Amen. The greatest practical thing we can do is to make space to truly pursue him, to make space in our lives Again, that's what fasting is all about. So I encourage you, we got one more week of our fast. If you haven't joined in with us, it's not too late. You can find out what that means and come find me, ask Pastor CJ or anybody and just say, what is this fasting all about? We got resources available for you because what it is is simply saying nothing, nothing, nothing will hold me back from pursuing you, Jesus, and making space for you in my life. Amen? N.T. Wright says this, anyone serious about growing in God will prioritize time and prayer. Nothing will stand in your way if you're serious about growing in God. Prayer changes everything. And in an era when our time is always spoken for, I want to echo what Pastor Rich Viota said. He said, people come to him often and say, you know, I don't have time to pray for an hour in the morning and stuff like that. He just said, well, what do you have? Kind of like God said to Moses, you know, what is in your hand? What do you have to work with? Do you have five minutes? You have a lunch break? You got 10 minutes? What can you give him? Where can you start? Try and align your heart with him. I promise if you'll commit to it and make a habit of it, five minutes, 10 minutes won't be enough. It won't be enough because you'll start to fall in love with the communion with God that you're feeling and you will be obsessed with him. But where can we start? Maybe it's finding one of these ways to pray and making it a a priority this week, amen? Whatever we do, I wanna encourage you, don't treat prayer as a transaction with God. We live in a very transactional world. The way we interact with each other often is just transactional. Okay, what do I need to get out of this conversation? Don't do that with God. It's about communion with him, seeking relationship with him, going deep with him. Not just saying, hey, you're the genie in the bottle. I need this, right? Let's make our prayers less, God, I need you to change this, and more, God, I need you to change me so I can know you more. As the worship team comes up to play, I want to invite you to stand, and we're just going to do something a little different as we close today. We're going to end in a final song in in a minute, but I just want to invite you guys just to play for a second. And if you're here today or maybe you're watching online, what I want you to do is just to put this in practice. You know, maybe grab somebody who you're here with, or if you came by yourself, grab somebody else who's here 
If you're watching at home, grab a family member, a friend, whoever you're with, and say, hey, can we pray for just a minute? Can we unite our hearts for just a minute? Maybe it's a, a prayer of just aligning with who God is. You can read Psalm 19 together and remind yourself of just how incredible our God is. Or Psalm 8, where it says, you know, who am I that you're mindful of me? Maybe you need to pray a prayer of asking. Maybe you've got some things going on in your life. It's incredible to pray with one another over those things. Maybe it's a prayer where you're wanting to receive, saying, I need God's perspective. I need to receive something from him. I just need to listen to his voice today. Help me to do that. Maybe it's a prayer say, I need to get in the game. I need to advance. I need to say, you know what, Lord? Whatever you have for me, make me bold. And pray that prayer with each other. So whoever you're with, wherever you are, I invite you just for about two minutes before we sing our final song, let's just pray together, amen? All right, let's go. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.